Presenting a near-death experience that really got my attention. Please listen up and see if you can see the clip on YouTube and find it. Thank you. Hi, everyone. My name is Bill Letson. I'm a retired firefighter. I live on the central coast of California, and I had a near-death experience in 1994 when I was on duty, and it was very profound. I couldn't really talk about it. Back in those days, I didn't have any place to look for answers, couldn't even begin. So I, I kind of kept it quiet for 15, 16 years, and when I retired, it came roaring back. I went looking for answers, and uh, that's that goes into a whole nother story with ancient knowledge and how the shamans and the Native Americans really didn't pick up on the whole story with the history and religion and science that we've all heard the last several hundred years. So that's where it'll lead. But I'll start off with my near-death experience in 1994. So I was on duty, I worked at a station, Station 11, it was a paramedic engine down in Goleta. And there was a flu epidemic going on in the Santa Barbara area. And all the emergency rooms were full of people suffering. And we were running calls, just like COVID, you know, EMS, public safety, they're still out there doing their thing. So we came across this lady who was cooped up in her room. It was a medical emergency. She was cooped up in her room and all the drapes were shut and she was suffering horribly. And so we, uh, myself, paramedic, just sprung into action. And I climbed across her to get a mask on her. And just as I was getting it adjusted, she exhaled and I inhaled and I felt it go right in. So after a couple of days, uh, I was super ill like I've never been before. And it got so ill that I needed an ambulance. And I remember I got out of bed and it was doing this dehydration thing where, you know, you're throwing up and it's going the other way and you're just running out of fluids in your body. And I looked in the mirror and I looked super gaunt, like a skeleton. I was dark and I said, well, something's wrong here. And my heart rate was just racing, it's like 150. And I felt my pulse in my radio pulse, you know, down by your wrist and I couldn't get a pulse. So I knew my blood pressure was below 80. So I called my family, my niece dialed 911 and Santa Barbara County Fire came, picked me up, started a couple of IVs, took me in code three to the ambulance to a hospital in Santa Maria. And I went into a place that was full of people with the same type of symptoms. The doctor who was in charge, he was just broadcast prescribing everybody. He was giving them something for pain, which was a morphine type thing, and something for nausea. And I was there for about half an hour. And, you know, the IVs, they put a couple of bags in me. And I was like, you know what, I think I can go home. And we'll just take it from there. We'll start some kind of treatment. And the nurse came in and said, nope, these are orders. Everyone in here is getting the same thing. And me being a good sport, I said, sure. And I was sitting up, ready to go home. And she pushed the new vein, which is a synthetic morphine, and the other thing for nausea. I, I didn't have any, neither one of those things were bothering me, nausea or severe pain. But anyway, my wife said she pushed it all in at once and your eyes rolled back. It was like watching a cartoon. Your eyes rolled back and you fell straight back on the bed that you were climbing out of. And that kind of freaked them, freaked them out. And uh, everybody came in and she said they Narcan'd you. And Narcan is what, you know, paramedics use for addicts, people with opiate overdoses, because it wipes out the opiates, like, instantly, as soon as it hits your system. And she said they Narcan'd you a couple of times, they started more IVs, and they put you in the head down, and you were gone. And they couldn't get a blood pressure, it was, you know, you were down 40 over zero. And they put you up in intensive care, and I spent the night there. In the morning, they said, the only reason you 
probably survived was I was a triathlete. I was doing Ironmans and stuff. So I had this tremendous system for perfusing oxygen. So nothing was really getting completely shut down. So during the, that night, what the morphine did was it phasodilated my whole system. I have a vessel and it's full of liquid, it's full of fluid. And suddenly all the vessel walls got huge, got really big. So the fluid that was left, you know, became not enough to really get any circulation, any perfusion. So during that night, I was, like I said, I never regained consciousness. But somewhere in the middle of the night, one o'clock in the morning, 1.30, something like that, I left my body. And it was the most amazing feeling. It was like I'd been let out of a hot, stuffy closet and I was released into this world of, I called them stars. There was these giant colored stars all around me and I was flying through them and they were, they were so welcoming and they were so loving. And people call these things like orbs and stuff. You know, what we really appear as is sort of these energetic beings. And I was this huge expanded cloud of some sort. It was ridiculous how good it felt. So I'm flying along and just feeling ecstatic, like some sort of cosmic orgasm. It was just flowing through me and like somebody was pouring honey all over my brain and it was running down through all my nerves and everything was just alive and exhilarating. It's a real challenge to come here into this place, into this world. So I'm flying along and it's like, what was that? And it's like, I was like shaking my head saying, how in the world did I forget who I really was? How is that possible that I was convinced that I was this person and that I had all these relationships and all these issues and because none of it was true. It was all an illusion and it was a, some sort of a trick or a game that comes with coming into the material world, coming into earth as a person. So I'm flying along and these orbs are all around me, these stars, these colored wonderful things and they're just and joy and like a homecoming. Like I was parading through this group and all of a sudden I landed. I landed in a place that was solid. It was real, it was an indirect lighting. There were tables there and equipment and there were beings there. And right in front of me were these three short little dumpy guys in these dark robes with hoods. And I could see parts of their faces and they were smiling from ear to ear. Their eyes were bright and they were asking me all kinds of questions and they were giggling and I was very confused. But I saw this, a picture of this movie Communion. And so I watched the movie, this was years ago, and those dark little elf looking guys that Christopher Walken is hanging with in a spaceship or whatever they're portraying there, they looked exactly like that, except they were super good natured, playful, mischievous, and they had big smiles on their face and their eyes were bright and they were saying a lot of personal things. Like, how was it? What can you tell us? What did you learn? And one of them looked at me and he turned to the other two and he said, he doesn't remember us. And they all started giggling. And I was thinking, I kind of remember you guys, but I'm having a little trouble here. And then there was this other guy and he was kind of in charge. And he was this tall, wispy guy, like a kind of a trimmed down Gumby or one of those cactus. And he looked like he was made out of vapor or mist or something. And when he walked, it was like I was looking at somebody underwater. He was, parts of him were separating and then catching up. And he smiled from ear to ear. And he had the brightest eyes. So this tall, uh, wispy guy, he was kind of in charge, but it wasn't like he was doing his job because everything was sort of 
mischievous. Everyone was just sort of bouncing around. And when he came close to me, my chest expanded, my throat was constricted, and I felt like I was going to burst into uncontrollable crying from love. There was so much love coming from this being that it was overwhelming. So there wasn't much going on there. It wasn't very organized. The three guys were giggling and bouncing around and the tall whiskey guy was just kind of chuckling and smiling. And at one point I said, well, I'm not going back there. So you guys want to get on with the, you know, what are we going to do? A review of my life? Is that what's next? And the tall whiskey guy just laughed. He just chuckled. It's the deepest laugh I've ever heard. And he said, sure, let's do that. How do you want to start? And I thought, this is not what it's supposed to be. So anyway, I told a few stories of nothing, no big regrets. Just a, a couple of things. There was a park ranger job on an island. My wife wanted me to take it. We would have been on an island by ourselves for the summer. And I took this other job. I thought it would be nice if I would have taken that job. But that's the only thing that came up. And he said, okay, that's enough. Time to go back. And I was like, go back? I'm like, dude, no way. I am not going back. What are you talking about? I'm, I'm here. He said, no, you got things to do and you're going back. And the three little guys, they just, it's like they were reassigned. They just disappeared off to some other place in this facility, whatever it was. And he came forward towards me and said, time to go back. And I said, I had to try. So I said, hey, look, boss, the only people who are gonna really miss me is my wife and my parents. And they'll be sad for a couple weeks, but they'll get over it. They're strong people. They will persevere. And he thought that was funny. And he said, no, you're going back. And just like that, the place just started to dematerialize. Parts of it were breaking up like I was going to another channel. And I do believe that all of our perceived reality in other dimensions, it's all channels. It's all frequencies. We have completely different realities right here, all around us, right here and right now. So I felt a, a descending. I think it was a drop in frequency. That was a definite descending feeling. and. He just sort of evaporated and I dropped away into darkness and I got down near my body and just before I went back in my body, I was at this place that really scared me. And I didn't want to admit that for years, but I, I figured people should know there is a place that we don't want to hang out and it's very close to where we are now in the physical and it was lonely and it was dismal. Yeah, you don't want any part of that. And after that, I was back in my body. And a few hours later, I woke up and I noticed the equipment. I was hooked up to all this equipment. I noticed the equipment, the blood pressure was starting to climb and it was in the 44 over zero or something. And I could be awake for a little bit and then I'd be out again. And I just kept waking up and looking at that and the numbers kept going up. And it was in the 60s and, and it was in the 70s. And a nurse came by and she said, you're awake. and I said, I need to talk to you. She goes, I, I need to tell the doctor. And we, you've been on, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen with you. And I said, okay, but first, I, what am I doing back here? I was home. I was with my best friend, my brothers I'd known forever. How is it that I got back here? And I said, I thought I bought the farm. I was sure of it. And she said, honey, you were in escrow, but you fell out. And now you're back with us and you're going to have to get over. And I thought that was pretty good. But I was pretty depressed for uh, a few days not clinically depressed like some people suffer from, but sad, sad to be back. And it, you could feel it slipping away. You could feel that it was gonna fade and pretty soon you could talk yourself out of that it even happened. And I told everybody, everybody I knew, I said, hey, there is nothing ever to worry about with this death thing. It's a joke. 
got it completely backwards. It's an absolute 10 million percent upgrade instantly. So some guys would come to me if they lost a child or a parent and they were struggling. And I tell them that exact thing. I, I said, nobody died. We've just slipped out of the physical and we've gone home. Because when I left my body through all those things, I was still me. And this is a stretch for people. I was still me at my core. I had the same kind of mischievous sense of humor. The mental talk that goes on in our heads, it was, I was still me. It was a flawless change. I just crossed over. I was still me and I was somewhere else. So I guess the point I'm saying is all of us have lost, you know, we've all lost people we love. And it's the worst thing that happens to us in this life. And we haven't lost, we've never lost anybody. We've never lost our pets. They're all right here, they're right, they're right next to us. After a couple of weeks, yeah, you know, I, I heard Tony Woody recently, he's a Navy chief, had a near crash in a P3 Orion, I think it was. And he said that a, a officer came by and said, you better stop telling this story. And that's exactly what happened to me. It was, it was just a slight thing. It was, a, it was a, a coworker. He said, hey dude, just so you know, people are starting to talk about you. And I'm like, you know, here's the most wonderful news anybody, any person could ever hear throughout history and I got to stow it away somewhere. So I zipped it and I dummied up for 15 years. And uh, in 2010, I retired. The story takes a little turn. I woke up in the car and I was laying on my right side across the back seat. I sat up and my Uncle Jimmy was crouched down next to me in the foot area. He was a volunteer firefighter in the area and responded to the call. I was surprised to see him and asked what he was doing here and what happened. He told me that I had been in an accident, but I was going to be okay. He was holding my hand. I said, okay, and I just laid back in the seat. I laid there thinking, I'm lying face down on a bunch of broken glass and I don't even care. This is weird. I had noticed everyone else was gone, and I didn't care about that either. Then there was this loud grinding noise and sparks. Uncle Jimmy said later that they were just cutting the door off to get me out, and then everything went black. He told me later that I was conscious the whole time when I was talking to him. They all thought I was fine, and I was the last person they extracted out of the vehicle. You have to understand that we were way out in the country, and we were all farm kids. So they had to pick and choose who they were going to remove because they only had a couple of ambulances at the time. I don't remember anything other than that at that time. Uncle Jimmy also told me that when the ambulance attendants tried to pick me up, that no matter where they touched me, it hurt so bad. He said that I took control and I told them where to put the board beside me in the car. I did a one-handed push in the right direction and slid right on the board so they could strap me face down right into the ambulance. The next memories are a little fleeting. Uh, there were lines on the floor as they were wheeling me into the hospital, cold scissors going up the side of my legs as they cut my pants off, and apparently I was very angry that they were ruining my new jeans. My parents told me that they sent my sister and I to a big city hospital as the small hospital in Simcoe was not equipped to deal with these injuries, so they sent us up to Victoria Hospital in London. My next memory was actually my near-death experience. I don't know how much time it passed, I know now that I was in London. I was floating in the air above my bed. My father was beside me in the chair. His elbows were resting on his knees. His chin was resting in his hands. He had an off-white, long-sleeve kind of dress shirt, like the ones they wore in the 70s. And somehow I knew he was praying for me. And I was trying to make sense of all the bars and ropes that were attached to me. 
My right leg was up in the air and a cast on my left. I remember thinking that I was looking down at me. Strange, I thought. Why don't I care? I remember feeling intense love for my father and then I was somewhere else. There were others there and the overwhelming sense of love surrounded me, kind of like putting on a new skin. It was just so much a part of me. I can't describe it to others. I cannot describe the other people though. It was like they didn't really want me to see them. I remember one of them saying, look, she's here. And another one turned and said, you cannot stay. It's not your time. That's okay, I said, I want to stay. He came to me to hold both my arms. No, he said very clearly and slowly, it's not your time. And he proceeded to push me back down. I remember struggling with him and I was arguing and wham, I was back to my body. And then I remembered this intense pain from my injuries and then everything went black. And I still have fleeting memories of waking up but I couldn't stay conscious for any amount of time for about two weeks. My parents told me later that they sat there for three agonizing days before the doctors finally told them, your girls are out of the woods. I spent three months in the hospital and my sister four months and they let her come home Christmas Eve. I mean, the experience was great. I talked to my dad about it about a month later. He listened to my whole story and I knew he believed me, but he told me not to tell anyone because they would think I'm crazy. The whole experience changed my life. I was different. I could feel it. I had this big, exciting secret. Little by little as time passed, other things started to happen to me. I now to this day have someone that talks to me and I hear it very clearly, not all the time, but in situations where I can actually help other people. Once I was transported to a place where a five-year-old child was dying. She had two angels with her waiting, but they let me have some time with her because she had a message for her mom. That's another story for another time, but it's amazing. And another young man who I know was killed in a truck rollover came to me seven days almost to the exact time of the accident. He had a demon-like creature on his right with his hand on his shoulder and an angel to his left. And he came right into my living room. He was terrified. I immediately went to a deep prayer. I don't know for how long. And when this moment broke, I looked up and he smiled at me. The angel grabbed him around the waist and flew off. And the demon thing hissed and snapped at me for a moment and then flew off a different way. That too is a whole nother story. I know this sounds so unbelievable, but it's true. There are so many things like that that have happened to me since. It is wonderful, but kind of lonely as I really can't talk about it. I even had a mouse like on the Green Mile, the movie. A wild field mouse came into my house and sat with me while I was going through a very hard time. Again, another story. But the clincher was that my sister came down to my house one day while I was away and killed it. Now, after you know my experience, I have a question for you. What happened to my sister? She's not the same, but she's the other way. She's not a nice person. She always was kind of mean and vindictive while growing up. But after the car accident, she started to do things to mess me up. It has got considerably worse over the years. I don't understand, but I stay away from her as much as possible. I've tried to talk to her so many times about these things, but she just puts me off. She just laughs at me and tells others that I'm nuts. Oh well, it really doesn't matter to me. Thanks for listening. It feels good to tell someone who gets it.
I'd like to thank Annette for her NDE, and I would like to know again what you think what happened to her sister because Annette had a profound experience and she came out to be a better person. However, according to her, her sister has not. Her sister kind of went the other way, and that's a little strange how we have come to understand NDEs and how people change because of them. Let me know what you think in the comments below. And remember, if you enjoyed the video, like, subscribe, and share. It means more than you know. Again, live long and live strong. Incredible, incredible NED experience. I'm going to put a, a description in how to get their anchor podcast. That would be very nice. The, I like the narration, the way the person uh, reads it, the tone of voice and the quickness, and the message that, uh, that we can deliver people from their demons, and the angels can. We can intercede for people that um, may be in limbo. You know, there's limbo thing, it's real. Um, according to this, that we can pray for them. You know, if it's heavy in our hearts, well, then we have we have a mission and a task, and go into deep prayer for somebody for their salvation. And it's easy, does it, folks? It's not all the times, not everybody, but God will drop a person in our hearts and our minds that we need to pray them that they will hook up with their angel and choose choose heaven choose jesus choose everlasting life amen thank you heavenly father god for bringing us through hearing us and helping us to become good soldiers hallelujah lord good administrators of your word to others lord thank you that we are good distributors lord god lord and we thank you that we are ready for the battle lord we thank you for the blood of jesus christ and filling our hearts with minds and souls with your holy spirit and he'll, he heating us up, Lord, and on fire for others in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day, family. I love you. Dear Death Experiences, thank you for coming on today's podcast. We're going to be learning and listening to incredible stories about near death experiences. I, Fernando, had one myself, but I didn't die. I prayed myself into the other side. I, I wasn't working, and I was selling life insurance, and I was walking around trying to get more customers. And in my spare time, there was a local church that they were having revival, or what you say, prayer 24 hours a day. So I would go in and pray with the people about three times a day, and we kept this up. They were just praying and praying around the clock. I couldn't sleep. I would go up over there at 2, 3 in the morning and go pray an hour. Each person was assigned an hour to pray. It was a, a black church, American, uh, African-American church, and there was about 5% Hispanic and white. The rest were <coughs> black, and they hit it very hard, and I learned to pray. And about and two weeks later, maybe three weeks, I, I had the hand of Jesus come and touch me and take me to heaven. And he showed me his kingdom, showed me that there was love in the air, honey love, pure love. The best spring day a thousand times better than the best spring day here. I just didn't breathe that. And there was music, classical music in the air. And I heard a voice say, uh, Lily of the Valley, 
Lily of the Valley. Wow. And with that, I saw buildings and that was it. It was very scientific. But Lily of the Valley means sanctification. And, and in other words, purity. And the next day, I can see the sanctification and the glowing in my face. It was just, it lasted uh, the gleaming for about three days. So that's my story. <coughs> now we're going to listen to a few stories on Annie Deep. And let's enjoy ourselves. Let's pray. And God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. And the courage to understand and to know the, the ones I can. And wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Here we go. And this is Woman Dies Learns a Powerful Lesson About Our Soul's Purpose, Healing, and One Man. This is an inspiring near-death experience. Here we go. Today you're going to listen to the beautiful near-death experience of Jane Thompson. During her near-death experience, she learned many lessons. Lessons about oneness, healing, our soul's purpose, and ultimately, how to live a fuller life. She also learns that death is nothing to fear, and only the next step in our evolution as souls. My NDE happened on August 22nd, 2008. At 1.20 p.m., I had just turned 34 years old, and I woke up early that morning in an unbelievable amount of pain, and I was burning up from a very high fever. I could barely move. I was in so much pain, but I was able to reach for the phone to call a family member to be taken to the emergency room. I was in and out of consciousness, but I was still in my body. I hadn't had my NDE at that point yet. I had just come out of having a CT scan, and I was taken to a part of the emergency room where they closed the curtains off so we could wait for the results and see what was next. I was in a tremendous amount of pain, and I had been for several hours at this point. I was taken into the emergency room at about 7.30 a.m. that morning, so I had been through a lot. The pain was increasing, my fever was getting worse, and I was very weakened from being in so much pain for so long. And so as I was lying there on the hospital gurney with my eyes closed, I began convulsing. and my head had so much pressure in it i could feel the veins popping out i felt like my head was going to explode from all of the pressure and right when i knew i couldn't take any more i went very internal i disconnected completely from the external world from everyone that was around me from everything that was outside of my body I thought to myself, I'm dying. This is what it feels like to die. And I wasn't scared. It was just a very matter of fact knowing. And right at that moment, I popped out of my body. I was no longer attached to my body. And the pain was completely gone. I was so detached that I then noticed that I was up on the ceiling of the room that I was in. 
and I was looking down at the scene below me and I could see my body lying there on the screen, but I could see that I, my essence was no longer a part of that body, that it was just the shell of who I am. I saw the people around me scurrying around. I felt their various emotions of being frightened, being bewildered, wondering what was happening, moving into action, assessing. And I just looked at this strictly from an observer's perspective. I was just noticing and almost taking note of what was going on. And I started floating up and I saw these little balls of light energy pinging around and bouncing around. And those were the souls of everybody that was in the hospital. And I saw how each ball of white light, how each soul was connected by a thin iridescent line. And that's oneness and the way that we're all connected. And then that's when everything started to speed up. And I felt myself very quickly going into the tunnel. I felt like I was on a roller coaster because it was fast and you don't know exactly what's going to happen, but it's exhilarating and it was exciting and almost joyful in a sense of, oh, I wonder where this is taking me. And the tunnel ride was very brief. And then I immediately dropped out of the tunnel into the white light. And the tunnel was very dark, very black inside. So then to be suddenly in this bright, beautiful white light, it took me a moment to adjust to it. And after I had a moment to adjust, the very next thing that I felt was a tremendous amount of love. love that even I get emotional even talking about it today it was the most pure unconditional love I have ever experienced in my life you know it was love for me that no matter what I had ever done in my life what I had ever been through it was just pure and unconditional love for me the closest I've ever come to that feeling of love on earth is when my daughter was first born and I had her after my NDE. The first time she was handed to me and the first time that I held her, I remember looking in her eyes and she was looking in my eyes and that love that I felt for her and that I could feel that she felt for me, that her soul could feel for me, it was very pure and it was very unconditional. The love and the light really hard to wrap my head around as a human being, you know, now back in a human body. It's because when I was out of my body during my MBE, I was stripped of ego. I was stripped of the limitations of my brain. I was stripped of the limitations of my body. And the light that I was in didn't have any of those limitations either. And so there was enough room for this complete, deep, unconditional, pure love.
I had this realization that that is me also, that I am that love, that we, human beings, we are that love. Every soul is that love because we are one with that light as well. It's just when we come into our bodies and onto planet Earth, we get that what's perceived as a separation, but the separation is just an illusion. And so as I was soaking up that love, I realized that that's also who I am too, and that I'm always one with that, and that I had never been alone, even though I felt alone many times in my life, that that light and that love had always been with me. Part of the peace that I experienced was that even though I had been in a tremendous amount of pain during the hours coming up to my near-death experience, I had forgot about all of that pain once I was out of my body and in the light. And I know there's a big fear of death, and I also had a fear of death, of what would be next. And I think a lot of us, too, also have a fear of how we will die. Will it be quick, or will we have to go through a lot of pain or illness? And a lot of the peace that I had once I was in the light was that whatever I had to go through in order to transition out of my body, even though it was a lot of pain, it wasn't even a thought at that point. It was just something that was in the background for me. And so there's a lot of peace in knowing that death isn't the end. Life is just a chapter. And however we do ultimately transition out of our bodies, there's nothing but peace and love that waits for us on the other side. I did not want to go back into my body after that beautiful experience that I was having in the light, that was the only place I wanted to be. I heard the firm but gentle and loving voice say, you need to go back. And I continued to protest and uh, try to get my way and say that I wanted to stay longer. But I knew that it wasn't a negotiation. Yet as I continued to protest, I felt myself get nudged lovingly nudged back into the tunnel very quickly backwards through the tunnel and then next thing I knew I was back into my body I re-entered my body through the top of my head and then I was fully in my body long enough for me to register that I was back in this world that I was no longer in that white light the pain quickly returned and then I was unconscious for several hours until much later that evening. I eventually found out the next morning that I had a kidney stone that got stuck in my ureter. So all the toxins that typically are filtered out from your kidneys, all those toxins were going back into my bloodstream and my entire bloodstream the toxins that typically are filtered out from your kidneys 
all those toxins were going back into my bloodstream and my entire bloodstream had become severely infected. My internal organs were infected, systematically shutting down, and I had gone into septic shock. I saw a couple of family members that looked very frightened, very concerned. Medical staff was there, my surgeon was there, and I wanted to tell everybody, don't worry, if I was supposed to die, if I was supposed to be dead, if this was the end for me, I would not have been sent back, but I wasn't able to do that. Honestly, took several years to process a lot of what I really learned during my near-death experience and what I really learned when I was in that beautiful light. And it was really the knowing that all is well. When we're in our bodies, the saying that all is well, it doesn't make sense to us. When we're here in our bodies, we don't have a complete picture of what's happening. We don't see all of the pieces that are going on. And when we are out of our bodies, when we're in the light, when we've transitioned out and we are stripped of ego and the limitations of our brain and the limitations of our body, we have that 360 degree perspective. And when you have that 360 degree perspective, when you have the complete picture, when you see the complete picture, saying that all is well makes perfect sense. And that continues to bring me a lot of peace as I'm back in my body. There's a quote that I love that always helps to keep me in that peaceful place of all is well and in the peaceful place of flow. And it's nature does not hurry yet everything is accomplished. And there's so much truth to that. We can just get out of our own way long enough to allow that to be. And so I was very motivated after my NDE to look at my trauma and to heal my trauma. And healing isn't always fun, but it's so worth it because you want to have those holes filled back in and you want to feel complete so you can live in the peace of being your true and authentic self. And so you can experience the abundance and the love and the joy of really being in alignment with your soul's purpose. Your trauma is, is your clue for knowing where your healing is. And our trauma and our conditioning, it's what we learn from. And our parents and our caregivers, I truly believe that they did the best they could with what they had. It's taken me a while to be able to say that and truly believe that and to heal any resentments that I might carry with me. Once you get there, there's a lot of peace in that too. And if we can all look at our traumas, look at our wounding and do what we can to heal that, our holes will start to get filled back in and the wounds will be healed and we will start to feel 
complete here on earth so we can live out our true purpose. Where you are in each moment, that is your purpose. And there's a lot of peace in knowing that. If you're having a bad day, or if you're having a good day, if you, you know, yelled at your kids that day, or if you had a great day with your kids that day, you are always in your soul's purpose because we are here to learn. We are not meant to be perfect every single day to fit the definition of being in your soul's purpose. We're all learning, we're all evolving, we're all progressing along our path. And while we are here to learn, school is earth. The earth is school and it can often feel like the school of hard knocks. It's not all serious. Every school has a playground. So go out and find your playground and have some fun because it's not all meant to be serious. And we do need to lighten things up sometimes. If you've ever watched a group of children on the playground and they're trying to think of a game to play, they're inventing a game to play, they have so many different ideas and they are bursting with excitement to start the game. But then if you look at a group of adults that got put on that same playground to invent a game, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to think of everything that could go wrong in the game. And what will we do if that goes wrong? And what is the rule around this? And what are, what's your role and what's your role? That's very serious and sometimes that's needed, but we can learn a lot from those children that are getting together as a group to have fun and to play a game and to just do what feels good. There's a lot of learning in that for us. We do all have a purpose in each day. We all have an ultimate purpose and sometimes that purpose is just in being. You don't have to be doing, doing, doing all the time. Being is oftentimes all you need because it allows that flow. It keeps you from getting in the way all the time for the beauty that's trying to unfold in your life and the people's lives around you. And your soul and your intuition and your higher self is always there to guide you and to show you synchronicities and to open doors for you and to close doors that aren't meant for you. And just getting quiet enough and continuing to work on your healing so you can hear the wisdom of your intuition coming through. Your soul knows you. Your soul knows whether you're going to hear the message today or six months from now or six years from now. Your soul already knows. It's never going to rush you. All you need to do is just try to get quiet enough to listen 